uh, Advent Sunday, and uh, the, I, I want to talk about expected living. What did you come expecting today? I, I don't know what, you know, I go to church every Sunday I go, and whether I'm preaching or not, I go expecting something to happen. I expect to see the Lord do something with it. And so I want to talk about expecting. I, I got an article that came across my desk a few, <laughs> few weeks back. It was, it, it was from the post office, and, uh, and the article was reading about uh, this postal official. His job was to uh, look at all the unidentified addresses on the mail that people were sending. This time of year, you know, kids send a lot of letters. So it was his job to take those letters. It was undeliverable. But he came across a letter that had a, a real large crooked writing on it, and it was addressed to God. And so he thought, I ought to open that. So he opened the letter, and when he opened the letter, it was from a 93-year-old lady. This is what the letter said. The letter said, Dear God, I'm writing you because it's an emergency. I'm 93 years old. I'm a widow. I have no family. But I have invited two friends for Christmas dinner. And Christmas is next week. This week, someone stole my purse. I had $100 in it. And they took it, and that was the last I had until the next check comes in January. Lord, I need your help. I have no family. I have nobody but you. So I'm asking, would you help me? She signed it, sincerely, Edna. Well, the guy at the post office kind of felt sorry for this lady. He thought she's 93 years old. My goodness, she has no family. She has nobody. So he went around sharing that letter with people in the post office. They all dug into their wallets and put a few dollars in. When he finally got the total after the whole day was over, there was $96. He put it in an envelope and he sent it back to Edna. She had never heard anything. Christmas came and gone. A few weeks later, there came another letter he identified with that writing. It was sent to God. So he said, I've got to open it. And so he told all the employees that had donated, and they, there was an exciting time of expectancy to wonder what Edna was going to say. He opened the letter, and the letter said, Dear God, so appreciative, so thankful, for the money that you sent. We had a wonderful Christmas dinner and we enjoyed our time together playing games and, and it was just a wonderful thing. She said, I'm so thankful, God, that you listened to what I had to say. But she said, I want to tell you something. I want to thank you for the $96, even though it was $4 short, but I believe it was short because of them crooks down there in the post office. I thought of that. I thought of that. You know, sometimes isn't that what we do with God? Sometimes we think He shortchanges us. Sometimes we think we don't get everything we want. Well, this is a season of the year where a lot of things goes in the mail. The mail gets bombarded with all kinds of things. And at, at, at this time of the year, children... 
have already written or already have done their writing of, in that little note to Santa Claus. I'm always interested. I, I used to love to get them stories of children because I love children and, and we've always enjoyed them. And, but I, I, I thought about this letter, how exciting it is for them as they make those wishes and they put those notes in that mail and they send them off to Santa Claus. Let me give you a couple of them. A little girl. Dear Santa, please give me a doll this year. I would like for her to eat and to walk and to do my homework and help me clean my room. Thank you, Jenny. Another one from a little boy says, Dear Santa, thanks for the race car you sent me last year. Can I have another one? Only this time, make it faster than my best friend's. Dear Santa, can you send me one of everything in the boys' section of Sears catalog? Nothing from the girls' section. I can't wait for Christmas. Can't. Then there's one more, and I'm going to quit. Dear Santa, could you come earlier this year? I've been really, really super good. But I don't know if I can last much longer. Please hurry. You know, that sounds familiar. Children at Christmas, it seems like it takes forever for them. They're waiting, they're anticipating, they're excited. It's so hard to try to be good until Christmas comes. You know, I think sometimes children, this, these passages today in the Scripture lesson I'm going to share for you in a few moments. Second Peter. You know, the church was in the same situation, Second Peter three eighteen through 14. You see, children can relate to this Bible Scripture. You see, the Christians in the early church, they were excited. They, they were waiting. They were waiting for the return of Jesus. They knew that when He left, that He was going to return. He said so. And so they waited with excitement. Every day, every time they came together, they would say, is this the day the Lord's going to show up? They were excited. They were ready. But the days passed. And then the days become weeks. And then the weeks become months. And months became years and years and years and years. And so through the time of anticipating the coming of the Lord, they kind of got like the children. They begin to say to one another, Lord, could you just come a little faster? You see, as they were waiting, the people around them began to mock their faith. The false teachers infiltrated the church and the minds began to get filled with doubts. And so they asked, where's this Jesus you are waiting for? Where is this one that's going to come? Do you think He forgot about you? Children sometimes feel that way. Do you think he forgot about you? Do they think that he, that, that God created this great world and created man and just, just left us to ourselves? They begin to doubt. The church begin to doubt. Some people said maybe God just set the world into motion and went out to lunch and never returned. And sadly today, many Christians 
start to believe in that same term. Many people today that come into the Christian Christmas season, how many of us come expecting, really expecting that this Jesus that we've been singing about that came from heaven to earth, that said that when He left that He would return. How many of us come to church believing and expecting this might be the very day? You see, we don't know. So Simon Peter, like the little children at that time, they get tired of being uh, being around. Sometimes the early believers went back to their old ways and their old habits, and some of them went back and, and never returned. They just left. Because they got discouraged. So Simon Peter saw this and follow, as a follower of Jesus writes this letter that I'm going to share with you from Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3 verse number 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in His keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not waiting, wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. It will be like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God's speed coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth and the home of the righteous. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with our Lord. My friend, that's what Christmas is all about. When we think about it, we wait for Christ's return. It becomes such an important element in the life of a Christian. The final chapter of God's love chapter of humanity has not been written, and Christ is coming again, and He's coming to us who are part of the church. I thought about the words that Philip Brooks, the great Christian writer who wrote one of the songs in our Christmas times, old little town of Bethlehem. But Brooks made another statement one time. He said, the coming of the Lord has been the inspiration of the Christian world. The power of any life, the power of any life lays in expectation. Expecting. We, we, we have a neighbor whose son and daughter-in-law expecting a new baby. It was almost humorous to us because, you know, we've been down that road. We've had three of them. We know what it is to wait. But every time he pulled in the driveway, would see me in the yard, he'd march over to tell me how close it was getting. It's due any time. 
I, I mean, I mean, it's he it, said she's she everything. The baby's in the right place, and and everything's ready, and and we're getting ready, and and so they finally went and had one of those sonograms that told them it was gonna be a boy. So what did he do? He tells me he said I I, I painted the room boys' color. He said, I got the crib. And he said, boy, it's a lot of work to put together, but I put it together. I got the dresser in. He said, we got everything ready. We're going to have this boy, and we're going to have him before Christmas. He said, I said, are you sure about it? He said, yes, if it's not, we're going to have him in due labor. He said, I put the tree up. I got a big boy thing on the tree. He said, I went and bought me a train, and I, I put the train around it, because I know little boys are going to like trains. You see, the expectancy of that family with that first child, I'm not sure it's the second one's just like. The first one's always that way, but then you begin to remember the nights without sleep. You remember the changing of the diet. You remember the formula, but you know the expectancy of being there. Isn't it wonderful to expect things? It's great to expect things, you know, to know that there are... You see, the power of any life is in expectancy. And so I ask in this Christmas Eve, what are you expecting? What are you expecting when we think about Christmas this year? Are you expecting crowds of people? Are you expecting jam-packed schedules that you wonder, how can I fit all of these parties into it? Are you expecting fans, family tensions? You see, it should be a happy time, but there's many times that the holidays become very tense because you want everything to work in a, in a pattern, in a form. And so you, some people just expect it. You know what happens? Because you expected it to happen. You see, there are some people today that, that are, have lives that are filled with stress. Are you expecting a big Christmas bonus? Are you expecting today a Martha Stewart party with all the decorations, everything to match? What are you expecting? You expect all of these things. But let me ask you, the whole situation of this time of the year surrounds one thing, the birth of the Son of God. How many of us are expecting to see Jesus? How many of us are expecting that this may be the year 2017 might be the year that Jesus promised in First Peter and Second Peter about that He would come? Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Who knows? Are you expecting to see Jesus? I thought about this. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus would come this Christmas? Think about it. Church on Sunday, the eve of it. Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Eve, here He shows up. This is it. This is the day we've been waiting for. Wouldn't it be wonderful? It would be for us that are serving the Lord, that are living faithful and just, and trying to live a holy and a peaceful life, but to those that have got so involved with everything in the world, they'll say, oh, I didn't know He's coming today. Like the person that shows up at Christmas time and you didn't think they'd come, so you didn't wrap them a present. You begin to grab one and run in the back room and change the name on it so you'd have one for them. Well, some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. Expectancy. The power expectancy 
starts with seeing life from God's eternal perspective. Expectancy, seeing it from God's perspective. If you are discouraged... My friend, if you are downhearted, if you are dispirited today, it's because you're looking at the world through the eyes of the flesh, not the eyes of the divineness of God. And you know there's a lot of people that are that way. pastor tells about counseling a young woman who was deeply disillusioned with her life. She had tried all, and it was failing. It was miserable. And this woman had brought society's... She had bought into the concepts of society today. That who she should be. She had done all the things that her friends were doing. She was miserable. And then she came to the pastor and stood before him, or sat before him in his office with her tears running down her face and her hands in her face saying, I've given up everything, my virginity, my life, my goal, my everything, and I am miserable. The reason for that was is because she thought that the purpose of her life was to grab all she could with all the gusto. She bought into the lie that the good life is drugs and alcohol and sex that is promoted so much in the movies and the television and the advertisements of our day. And she thought that the purpose of her life was to grab everything she could get. But at 21, 21 years of old, she was already tired and hurt and disillusioned. But i got news for you. She's not the only one that ever lived that way. She's not the only one that feels that way. There are people today, there are people all around you and me that are living in this day today, the world especially of young adults, who have given up on achieving fulfilling lives. They've given up on it. They're afraid of relationships. They've lived as depressed loners. They've done it all and have nothing to show for the experience except the case of disillusionment. Have you ever been there? Do you know somebody like that? Or maybe I should say, is that something like you? Are you in a place of disillusionment, of saying, there is no hope for me, there is nothing for me, everything I do fails, everything I try goes wrong? Do you, do you feel like nothing's working for you today? Then it's because you're looking through the eyes of the flesh. Because through the eyes of the Spirit, God has something great in store for you. God has something great. You see, those are the kind of people that Peter sent this letter to, They started out as Christian followers. But after a while, the ways of the world seemed so attractive to them. You know, the sad thing is, in the life of many people today, that have been raised in church all their life. If you're not careful, the devil will show you a side that makes it look like it's okay to do this. It'll be okay one time. It'll be okay to, to do this or to do that. You know what? We get sidetracked. We get, you know, you know, everybody's doing it. Come on, and everybody's doing it. If it feels good, do it. Life is short. Play hard. Look around at all the beautiful people. They're doing it. They were looking to the world through human eyes. But how do we take 
a scriptural Christian perspective on life. How do we see the world as God sees the world? The first thing we need to do in order to see the world as God sees it, first of all, we must acknowledge that everything in this world eventually will perish. Everything. That's what the Scripture says. This world and all that we see. Just watch the news. You want to get an idea? You want to get a sight in your mind of what it's going to be like? Just look at the news. Look what those homes in California where people put their whole life and everything into it. I looked at Mercedes. I seen BMWs burnt to the ground. I seen houses that had been mansions that were all in ashes. And it reminded me of what the Bible says. The Bible says in this world, everything will be destroyed. Everything. Except the soul that lives inside of you. So that's the reason why that Peter has written this letter. Nothing in this world is permanent. Do you know that your favorite expensive car, that beautiful shiny truck that we drive, will rust out. It will. It'll rust out. I, I, I've got one I've been holding, holding on to for 25 years. It was my son's. I'm going to tell you something. I look at it and every once in a while, yep, I'm taking outside hardly. It's still got a little rust ball on. You see, there's no guarantee that anything will last. That nice house that you have, it may be beauty. It may be the dream of your life. But I guarantee you that old house, one of these days, that nice house is going to decay. Things are going to begin to fall apart. The doors are going to begin to squeak. The windows are going to get frosted up. You see, because there's nothing that will last forever. I want to tell you something, that pair of $100 jeans you got, they're going to fray and fade. Those $150 tennis shoes are going to wear out. I'm telling you that nothing in this life lasts forever. It's going to be removed. I'm going to tell you something. Your money will be passed on to your heirs and, and part of it to the IRS. <laughs> when you're gone, it'll be gone. Let me tell you something. It, when Jesus returned to claim the church and His kingdom, everything we strive to hold dear, my friend, will be destroyed. Everything except your soul. And yet we spend all of our time on the cars and the trucks and the clothes and the tennis shoes and all the things, my friend, that the Bible says is going to disappear. And we do very little with the soul that's going to last forever. And so I say to you this morning that this is the most important thing of all. Peter says in his letter, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? He didn't say what kind your neighbor ought to be, what kind your spouse ought to be, what kind your children ought to be. We've got, it's easy for us to sit back and say, my wife ought to do this, and my son ought to do that, my daughter ought to do this. But what about me? What about me? It's a time for us to look at ourselves and to realize that nothing, my friend, in this life, there's nothing that focuses on our priorities quite like the knowledge of our mortality. Advent's not a season for focusing on the subject of death. I realize that. But it is a season for us to look beyond this present moment into the eternal. And even then, evaluating our life perspective of eternity. 
Jesus came and was born in a stable. He was raised by Joseph and Mary. He, he taught in the synagogue. He taught His disciples. He gave His life. But now I'm going to tell you something. He went back to heaven with the perspective of someday coming back to receive those that He taught. I want to tell you, we need to be looking at beyond this. So the question of the second Sunday of Advent, what do you want with your life? What do you want out of your life? For Christians, there's only one answer. Living a loving relationship with God. And living a loving relationship with one another. With others around us. God put you here not just to love yourself and to love those few that are around you, but we are to love the world as He loved the world. We're supposed to reach them for Christ. That's what Advent and Christmas is about. Claiming the moment. Taking time to nurture a relationship that matters the most. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not good at witnessing. Let me tell you something. This is the greatest time of the year. This is the easiest time in the world to witness. I mean, people have to be thinking about God. They have to. They, otherwise, they wouldn't even think about it. You know what? It's the easiest time to go in and say, you know, we got so mixed up in saying happy holidays now that we have the freedom to say Merry Christmas again. You'll find people. I listen to them. They'll say, happy, I mean, Merry Christmas. Happy, I mean, Merry Christmas. You see, they want to say it. But we need to believe it. Christmas is a season in our world today seems almost designated and to distract us from God-centered living. It, it really does. My wife and I the other day drove over to Akron to the mall. I mean, I've been an obedient husband. She said, I haven't been in the malls. Christmas is almost here. I haven't been in the mall. So we drove to the mall. We walked through the mall. Never heard a Christmas song. Very few shops that had anything to do with Christmas. I had a lot of money changers. <laughs> had a lot of people out there trying to tell you things. I mean, you know, two or four people you walk through. Can I help you? Can I show anything to you? You see, they want to produce. But it's His birthday. And we make money on it. Almost like, my wife said it's almost like Jesus. He's, he, he'd go in that mall. He'd say it'd be like the money changers came into the church for her. You know? Because that's all it is. It's just a money changer. It has nothing to do with Christ. Now, I'm not against buying a gift. I, I, you know, I, I like getting gifts. But I'm saying that in this world that we live, the Christ is not in the center of our Christmas. There is so much pressure to shop and to shop and to shop. There is so much pressure to rush, rush, rush. To spin, spin, spin. All for what? How many of you remember... All the Christmas gifts you got last year. How many of you remember what you got last year? How, how, how far, you know, we're not even, we're just a year away from it. How many of you remember what you got for Christmas last year? Some of you remember putting it in the yard sale this summer. <laughs> we had a bus ministry in Bell Fountain while I was there 15 years pastor there. We had a big bus ministry. And we'd buy every Christmas, we'd buy things for them. But you know what's amazing? You go back into their same neighborhoods. In the summertime, and the very stuff we, we sacrificed and bought for those kids, and, and Mom had them out in the yard sale in the summer. She knew we'd replace, replenish them the next year. But you know what I'm saying is, is that sometimes, you know, we, we center on the things. The gifts of Christmas are temporary. But the message of Christmas is eternal. 
The gifts are temporary. They only last for a little while. Our mighty God came to earth in the form of a man. Christ lived. He shared with us. He shared our suffering. This young lady that's been suffering. Let me tell you something. Jesus shared that suffering and He's going to take care of her. Because you see, He was willing to suffer in our behalf. Not only did He come to live among us and share our suffering and our pain, but He died a horrible death to save us from our sins. He opened the way for eternal life. The greatest gift that can ever be given. And someday He's coming again. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year. But until that day, I believe that God has a job for every one of us. And our job is to love Jesus Christ, number one. And then we are to love everyone else that we come in contact with. Love God first and love others. How are you doing with that? What's your love life with God? What's your courtship with God? Do you enjoy the time that you can come before Him and talk to Him? Him talk to you? What's it like? You see, so many times it's just what, what we have, a little bit of time in church. But I want to tell you something, until that day, it's our job. I thought about the great medical science Lewis Pasteur. Pasteur was known for a lot of things, but you know, he lived in a time when thousands of people were being bitten by rabid dogs. And they were losing their lives. And so he began to study medicines to try to find a cure for that. And after nine years of studying and studying and studying, finally he came with a cure, he thought. He was about ready to inject himself to see if it would work. When a mother came to him, begging with tears in her eyes, she said, my little son, seven years old, has been bitten by a rabid dog. Would you please, would you please inject it into him? Save his life. He thought about it for a moment and then he said to, his, to this mother that was broken, he said, you know, he'll have to take him ten days in a row. You'll have to bring them to me for ten days in a row and I'll have to monitor this. And she said, it's okay. I love my son. I want you to do something. So he did. He gave him shots ten days. Day after day and monitored his, how good the shots were doing concerning the rabies. And after a little while, the boy began to revive, began to respond to it. And the boy lived. Years later, many years later, when Pasteur was on his deathbed and they were wanting to erect a headstone for him, of all the things that he could have put on that headstone, these were the words that Louis Pasteur has on his headstone. Joseph Metzer lived. Joseph Metzer lived. Now, you see, our greatest legacy will be in the lives that we touch, that we bring to God. The lives that we make an influence on. The lives that are broken, that need healed, that we help bring healing to. That ought to be the legacy of our lives as Christians. 
And I thought about that. Because He lives, I too shall live. Every time I read in a newsletter from a church where I've preached or pastored, and I see where someone passed on, someone that I've known, I, I, I almost rejoiced because I say, I know that they heard the Gospel. They accepted the Gospel. I know where they are today. You see, that's the legacy that we want to know. I don't want people to think because, uh, you know, I, I don't have that, but people will say, well, he got that old junk truck and he's left it. Who's he going to leave it to? Or that old car, who's he going to leave it to? Let me say, I don't want people to think that way. I want them to think about what I said and what I did in my lifetime. You see, that's what's important. You see, whenever we think about that, whose life will be transformed because you shared the love of Jesus with them? Which one of your children? Which one of your neighbors? As I look around and I see people, this present life, my friend, the Bible says we need to claim the moment. Let us be true to the present time and, and give the right Christmas present. Give to people the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I want to share this morning something that, in closing that, that happened to me. I've done a lot of preaching through the years. Held a revival meeting in Alliance, Ohio a number of years ago. Preaching in that revival. One night in that revival, a fellow came in and had a label on from some trucking outfit. Sat through that service and gave the altar call and this man, nobody in the church knew him. He, he, he just walked in. He, he parked his truck somewhere and came to that revival. He saw, saw a notice that the fellow had put up on bulletin boards around the town. And he happened to see it. And he said, well, I'm going to go to that revival. I've never been to revival. I'm going to go to revival. He went to revival. And God got a hold of his heart. And he got saved. And he left. I never heard. Didn't know who he was. Do you know what? A few years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, I went to uh, Berlin Center Camp Meeting, a men's retreat. Had a men's retreat over there, and I was doing an interim at one of the churches, and some of the folks had never been to a men's retreat. I talked them into going. I talked to, I went to that board, I said, pay their way. They need to go to this. This would be an experience of a lifetime. We took five guys, and we went over to Berlin Center. And the preacher preaches, and the singing's great, and the food's wonderful. But then after the service, you know, we're men, so, you know, we got tough stomachs. After the service, we have bonfires. They set about five of them up and divide people up. Need hot dogs and popcorn. You're going to go to bed. Huh. I was standing there, and we were talking around the fire, and I was leading in one of the things. And all of a sudden, as a guy stood up, he said, you see that guy standing up there? He's pointing at me. He saved my life. I said, man, I don't even know this guy. How did I save his life? He proceeded to tell me what I didn't know. He said, I had a gun in my truck. I had lost my wife. My family had turned against me. I was out on that road thinking about what I could do to get it all over and get it behind me. And he said, somehow, for some reason, he said, that truck began to spit and sputter and it wouldn't run. He said, I had it towed into Alliance off of the 76 Highway. 
I was sitting there for two days. I thought there's something to do. There's a revival. I've never been to one. I'll go to one. He came to the revival. He said, I got saved. He said, it saved my life. He said, because Christ came into my life, I got rid of the gun. I began to try to work on my family relationship. He said, and I'm here today to tell you, because of Jesus coming into my life, my wife and my children are now saved. And this man saved my life. What a legend. See, brother, I'm going to tell you something. I walked high. Because I knew that I had said something through the Spirit of God that had saved a life. Let me tell you something. The legend that we want. You know, it only happens if we expect it. I hear people say all the time, Oh, I don't want now to go to church and not same old thing all the time. I don't what do you expect? I don't expect a whole lot. You know what? You usually get what you expect. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to be negative. I'm going to expect for the best. I'm going to expect that God's going to do something wonderful. I'm going to expect God's going to send you a leader that's going to make this city realize that there is a church on this hillside that still stands for the gospel. You see, I'm expecting that. I don't know what you're expecting today. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're depressed, if you're discouraged, if you're having a problem at Christmas because of the family that's not coming together and all that, let me tell you something. Go into that family party expecting God to use you as you share the love of God of what He's done in your heart. You see, people want to, they don't want to know about what He can do. They want to know what He has done. What He has done. I go back to my hometown that I graduated from. And a community church, a fellow asked me, I was in school, came home, and he said, would you like to preach? That's like saying, uh, stick him to a hound dog. Yeah, I want to preach. So he said, come over and preach for me. I went over to preach for him. And you know what? He had people there he had never seen before. He said, them folks came because of you. I said, they just want to see if it was really real or not. <laughs> they knew me. And now here I am, a preacher. You see, we got to expect things from God. Let me ask you this morning, what are you expecting this Christmas? Expecting it to be a wonderful experience for your family and that God's very presence is there. Thanking Him for what He has done of giving the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of salvation. You can have the gift of eternal life here and now not out somewhere yonder, here and now. It can happen today, right here, if you want it. You just have to come expecting it. Let's stand together. Father, this morning, we thank You for the time of the year when we can expect great things from You. Lord, we just ask today for every person sitting in this building, Lord, as we enter into this Christmas season, Lord, we pray that we would keep You in the center of it all. Lord, help us to realize that Christmas wouldn't even be here if it were not for Your Son who was willing to give His life for us. Help us to be willing, Lord, to give ourselves that we might be able to share the love of God that's in our hearts to those that are not feeling the sense of being loved. Speak to hearts and lives today, Lord. Help them to come. They have that need. And Pray, and Lord, spend that moment of receiving You and leaving here with an eternal assurance that, God, You're real in their heart and life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Will You come as we sing?